Whissington Falls News Review Now with the Oom is on the air. This is Blissington Falls News Review Now for Tuesday, August 20th. I'm Trizzy, and this is... And and I'm happy to meet everyone. You are very nice, and I like you. Usually you say you love them. I do. I do love them, too. But I also like them, because everyone is nice. Never let go of that belief, Ume. I will never let go of you, Mommy. I like to hug you. Who else would you like to hug, Ume? I like to hug my sister, and I like to hug my friends. Would you like to tell everyone about your sister and your friends? My sister is Ayaka, and she is very small, and she has a ribbon. And then my friends are Big Snoopy, who was born in USJ, And little Snoopies who look like monsters, but they are nice, and they were also born in USJ. Who else? There's Pooh, who was born at Tokyo Disneyland. Uh Uh-huh. And Marceline, who came from Akihabara. She is a vampire, but she is nice. And there is Towel Dog, who is brown, and she is nice, too. And Ludo, who came from a box that came to our door, just like me. We live on the sofa together, and when you are gone, we play. What do you play? We play lots of games, and we pretend to be pirates and ghosts, and also we pretend to be ourselves. It is a lot of fun living on the sofa. Sometimes we watch the TV show about friends who look just like us. I know where this is headed, Ume. There is a big white dog in a blue shirt who looks like me, and a Snoopy and a Pooh, and a little Ayaka, and a... Oh, Ume. So, once again, it's time for Little Trizzy's Trizzyween Treat, the part of the show where we celebrate three months of Halloween. As we get closer to the fall and the actual holiday, we'll cover more and more horror movies, comics, and TV shows or just creepy, crawly things in general that relate to Halloween. Little Trizzy really hates doing this, but she's agreed to share with us some of her thoughts on the comic adaptation of the George Romero-Stephen King film collaboration, Creep Show, illustrated by Bernie Wrightson, who, despite her dislike for horror comics, is one of Little Trizzy's favorite comic book artists. And I'll get into the movie itself a little, too, I suppose. Creep Show is about a creep and a show. It is, Ume. And here's Little Trizzy to get us started. Little Trizzy, calling Little Trizzy. Can you hear me, Ghost of Halloween's Past?
little Trizzy again. The only reason I want to grow up to be you is you get to wear the cutest clothes and stuff, but also I don't want to grow up to be you because you're a mean When I grow up, I'm not going to make fun of people just because they're younger versions of myself. <sighs> anyway, Creepshow is this comic book that I found at Walton Books, and I didn't know what it was because, like, comic books were Marvel and DC and Gold Key or whatever. And why was this comic in the movie book section? But I do know Bernie Wrightson from other comics like Swamp Thing and Batman. And I do know Stephen King because he writes horror books and they make movies from them a lot. Creepshow is a comic based on a movie that's based on comics. These comics are like those old, old EC horror comics from the 50s that were so scary the government made them stop printing them. That's like, wow, way scary. But Creepshow isn't one of those actual EC comics. It's just kind of like them. It's a tribute, I guess. But the cover is by Jack Kamen, who actually did draw comics for EC back then. So it has that connection, which I really think is cool. So each story is introduced by the creep, who is like, like a rotten skeleton ghost type person who makes dumb jokes. But the stories aren't dumb. Well, the first one and the last one aren't the best. The first one is Father's Day, and everyone in it is super rotten, especially the dead guy who gets his revenge against them, but even he was a jerk. But it has, like, this really gruesome close-up of his face with, like, worms in his eyes, so that's kind of cool. And the last one is they're creeping up on you, which is just a mean, rich fighting roaches in his apartments, which is, like, sealed from the outside with, like, an environment thing. I guess he gets what he deserves, but it's kind of, like, cramped. And it's not really scary, it's just, like, really icky and gross. The middle three are awesome, though. The lonesome death of Jordy Verrill is, like, this country guy who finds this meteor that makes, like, space plants grow on everything. And I do mean everything. It has one of those like world is doomed feelings so it really makes me shiver. And then there's something to tide you over which has like this mean guy. These stories have lots of mean guys who buries like two other people up to their necks on the beach because like one of them was his wife and they were cheating together. Anyway, like oh the one guy is from Cheers too. Anyway, it's just the start of the story. At least their revenge makes sense. Then there's the crate, which is about a mysterious box that's left under the steps at a college. And then what happens when they find it and open it? It has the scariest thing to me, which I probably shouldn't tell you, but it's like this janitor guy. He gets pulled up into the box, and he's like, ow, ow, it's biting me, it hurts. And then all like, these streams of blood start running down while this college professor watches, and he's all like, oh my gosh, oh, this is terrible. And the blood is, like, really scary. But the way the janitor screams, and because he's, like, really a nice guy who, like, totally doesn't deserve what happens to him, really made me feel nervous. Honestly, I read Creepshow like dozens of times at Walden Books at the mall. I was too scared to buy it, and I knew I shouldn't read it there because it's a bookstore, not a library, and that's like stealing, and stealing is so wrong, so don't do this. But also, like, I knew I shouldn't read it because, like, I would have to sleep with the light on, and I kept thinking that the monster from the crate would, like, somehow escape the book.
and come to our house, and how could you stop it? You couldn't, because it can live in a crate for like 150 years. And anyway, I would still end up reading it, and then I would still end up not being able to sleep every single time. Well, that's creep show, old Trizzy. You should go under the steps and see if, like, an old box is there and maybe rattle the chains and... Well, second thought, that's a really bad idea. Forget I said that. When I grow up into you, do not do that. But I still think you're mean as any of the people in this story. Just tell them to call you Trizzy. Everyone does. Thanks for that report, little Trizzy, and also for the character assassination. Anyway, she's comparing me to Billy or Wilma, the character played by Adrienne Barbeau in the movie version of Creepshow. Little Trizzy, you said Bernie Wrightson drew the comic adaptation, but who wrote it? I don't know. It doesn't say. I'm guessing it's Stephen King. It says art by Bernie Wrightson with Michelle Wrightson, but there's nothing about written by. Just Stephen King's Creepshow, a George A. Romero film. He did those zombie movies, too. Yes, that's right. You may not believe it now, but you are going to grow up to love those. And anyway, while my parents never expressly forbid me from watching R-rated movies, I didn't get around to watching Creepshow until many years later, not even when it appeared on HBO when I was a kid. But my experiences with the comic and Walden books eventually led me to discovering EC Comics, and I also dressed as the creep one Halloween for trick-or-treating without ever once having watched him in action. That's how influential Creepshow was on my life. It still exerts a fascination and a pull, and I guess if nothing else, I have King and Romero and Wrightson to thank for my longtime fascination with horror as a genre. I was such a little chicken, and yet I could not avoid it when I was a kid. Eventually, I'd see Night of the Living Dead on the big screen at our university movie theater, along with Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, and so a love affair would finally come to fruition. The Creepshow movie itself is a lot of fun with broad, comic book-style characterizations throughout. As Little Trizzy says, the first and last segments are the weakest, although the first has some incredible EC-esque ghoul work on its monster. While EC comics themselves often feature unpleasant people coming to appropriately unpleasant ends, seeing actors portray this on screen can be a bit more unpleasant than dealing with them as two-dimensional figures on flimsy newsprint paper. Jerks killing jerks doesn't always work in movies. Much better are the middle segments, especially the watery one, with Leslie Nielsen as an insanely jealous husband and videophile, who takes his wrath out upon Ted Danson and Galen Ross as the betraying lovers. This one comes closest to the classic EC feel of justice served via horrific comeuppance. You know, twisty, ironic kind of cosmic justice. The EC world was starkly moralistic at times. The crate is just good fun with a scary creature and Adrian Barbeau and Hal Holbrook really hamming it up. It's the most Stephen Kingish of the tales. A little misogynistic at times, but then EC Comics could be as well, too. And the lonesome death of Jordy Varell brings to mind H.P. Lovecraft's The Color Out of Space, although it's more tongue-in-cheek in tone. Let me just say, Stephen King commits completely to his role as a dumber-than-dirt, down-on-his-luck rube. 
The doctor he imagines is such a 1950s Jack Kamen, EC stereotype character come to life, too. The wraparound segment features horror author Joe Hill when he was a kid playing a young horror comic fan with a less-than-supportive father played by Tom Atkins, who also appeared in Escape from New York, directed by John Carpenter, as well as Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. For the longest time, his appearance in this movie, along with Barbeau's, confused me over George Romero versus John Carpenter. Horror makeup maestro Tom Savini has a small role as a garbage man, too. And there are uncredited appearances by Richard Gere and Ned Beatty's voice as well, buried inside Creepshow. Creepshow is always fun Halloween viewing. Romero uses some comic book style visual motifs, splitting the screen into panels, or using creative panel type designs for transitions, and weird superimposed flash shapes and swirly backgrounds for emphasis. It's literally a horror comic book turned into a horror movie that was then turned into a horror comic book that made little Trizzy wet her bed. I did not! Metaphorically, I mean. Shut up anyway, you suck! like Ewan McGregor is returning to the galaxy far, far away as... I'm not sure. No, he'll be Obi-Wan Kenobi, if reports on Deadline, Hollywood, Variety, and The Hollywood Reporter are to be believed, and they may be true from a certain point of view. The Hollywood Reporter tells us McGregor is in talks to reprise his Jedi Master role, and from what I've seen online, we're all here for it. I know I am. I'm one of those atrocious Star Wars fans who dislike the prequel trilogy, but even I have to admit McGregor's take on Obi-Wan Kenobi was a pure delight. I did enjoy seeing Kenobi in his prime, and McGregor seemed to be having the time of his life, unlike some of the other cast members who got stuck carrying the romance and melodrama loads. McGregor got to play Kenobi from clean-shaven young Padawan to full-fledged bearded master, and he even sounded like Sir Alec Guinness at times, without stiffening into impersonation. He was funny and believable throughout, and I really did enjoy his every moment on screen. So much so, when the idea of an Obi-Wan solo movie first floated towards us like a force ghost, I just about flipped my lid. I wanted it so badly. And McGregor signaled he was open to the part. The Hollywood Reporter says negotiations are confirmed, and those could fall through or Disney could abruptly change its plans since there's no start date for production and certainly no premiere date for the show itself at this point. We've already got The Mandalorian on the way and another untitled series with Diego Luna as Cassian Andor coming to Disney+, and that service won't appear until fall. So at this early date and without a firm deal in place, we can only speculate and anticipate and hope for some big news in the future. 
McGregor recently headlined Disney's Christopher Robin, where he put his George Lucas experience to good use, interacting with the CGI Winnie the Pooh. So it's not as if he strayed far, far away from Tatooine and Coruscant and all those types of places. I, for one, would love to welcome him back to the Jedi Fold, especially if he's rousting death stick dealers like Elon Slezbagano. Streets of Coruscant, starring Ewan McGregor, a Quinn Martin production. Tonight's guest stars, David Blood Gornish, Miriam Cranberry, and Lyle Wagner. Special guest star, Ricardo Montalban. Tonight's episode, A Shadow of Murder. Master Obi-Wan? Of course. We've already seen who did it. Count Malvor, Villian Adonna. But prove it, can you? My question, that is. No worries. I'll simply trick him into confession before the denouement, Master Yoda. Good this is. Hmm, yes. The streets of Coruscant will return after these messages from our sponsor, Ford Thunderbird. The closer you look, the better we look. That show was great. I used to watch it at my grandma's house when she babysat me. Ume, what else is happening in the world of entertainment this week? I don't know. Okay, let's look. Sci-Fi has decided not to renew Krypton, the TV series about Superman's home planet when it was a baby. The show officially ended August 14th, according to Deadline. Deadline and Variety also tell us the Lobo spinoff is now as dead as Kryptonian civilization as well. No word on whether or not Lobo sent a tiny rocket ship containing a little baby Lobo to Earth before Sci-Fi finalized that decision. Tough week for DC TV stuff. Tough summer, in fact. Deadline blames high license fees for wrecking sci-fi's bottom line on shows like Krypton, which saw its ratings dip by about half this season compared to its first. Marcel the Friends Monkey, whose real name is Katie, just picked up a major new role in Why the Last Man, the upcoming FX TV adaptation of the comic book series. Katie, a capuchin monkey, who played Ross Geller's monkey pal on a show I seriously never watched a single episode of, including the one where Ross befriends a capuchin monkey, and yet I know all about it because it was a massive hit that everyone continues to talk about to this day, including in frivolous, supposed news broadcasts such as this one, which mainly exists... because you gotta do something to fill the hours of the day, and this is what... I choose to spend my time doing. 
plays Ampersand, the only other guy mammal to have survived a plague. And yes, that was all one sentence. Thanks to FX CEO John Landgraf for making the spot, and I'm sure you'll get a nice bonus for that one from Duke Lido. Oh wait, that's Sandworms in Dune. What am I babbling about, Ume? A monkey. Thank you, Ume. I learned most of this from a story on Hollywood Reporter by Leslie Goldberg. Thank you as well. Thank you. It was very nice of you to tell us about monkeys. Do you like monkeys, Ume? I don't know any monkeys. I guess you don't. Is Ludo a monkey? No, I think he's a monster of some kind. A nice monster. Oh. And that's all the entertainment news we have for you today. I think that's more than enough, don't you, Ume? He-Man. He-Man? Why did you just say He-Man? How do you even know those words? He-Man. I am Ume. Oh. I am a dog. Anyway, Kevin Smith told everyone attending the PowerCon He-Man and Masters of the Universe convention he's bringing back Prince Adam, Skeletor, Orko, Beastman, Stinkor, Tila, Man-at-Arms, and all the rest of those muscle-bound 80s, pumping-iron, cartoon favorites in the form of Masters of the Universe Revelation, an animated show for Netflix. They're calling it an anime, which is a little odd, but hey, whatever. In the 80s, She-Ra was He-Man for girls, and now He-Man is She-Ra for boys. Variety reports Smith will executive produce and act as showrunner, and the plan is for the new show to focus on unresolved storylines from the old show. While I'm not sure the old show had stories, much less storylines, this does sound pretty cool. Smith promises this will be the Masters of the Universe story you always wanted as a kid, but when I was a kid, the Masters of the Universe story I always wanted was me as Triz Ra, Empress of the Galaxy, and I doubt this will be that awesome. Mattel Television produces with Castlevania's powerhouse animation handling the animated stuff. The image we've seen so far is just Castle Grayskull with stormy red skies overhead and He-Man's power sword floating in, in hot yellow lightning bolts inside the mouth. Very dark and moody and energetic. I have a feeling these are going to be heavier, more serious stories in the 80s syndicated show, which told the tale of a kind of dim-witted barbarian who battled an even dumber villain who managed to hire a bunch of goons even stupider than the both of them. Maybe they'll keep the original designs, maybe they'll update them. I seriously hope all the fans who hate the new She-Ra are happy with this. The announcement sounds like total fan service, and it'll be interesting to see if this segment of the audience can handle getting exactly what it is they always say they want. And I do hope it's that. I hope it's everything they want it to be and more. And there's no reason there can't be two Eternias, the more positive, representation-friendly, gloriously creative She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, and this Kevin Smith version. I know a number of She-Ra fans are a bit disappointed they may not get to see a Noelle Stevenson take on He-Man and Cringor and the rest, but what I hope is they do show up on She-Ra in updated form and then on Revelation in some kind of dude-bro incarnation so everyone gets something to love. I grew up with the original He-Man, and while I know the people who worked on it the best they could considering its purpose and the constraints of the time, it was a pretty stupid show. Smith and the rest unleashing their fullest id-born creations on Eternia could only be an improvement. I was way more into 
the He-Man toys in the cartoon. And The Real Ghostbusters was the best 80s syndicated cartoon show. Real Ghostbusters kicked Ecto butt, Ume. Now that was a cartoon that didn't talk down to little Trizzy or make her feel like the producers thought she was an idiot. And the 90s were the best era for kid animation. Animaniacs, Freakazoid, Batman, the animated series, Tiny Toons. Those were actually excellent shows. They sound scary. Oh, ignore me. Speaking of animated series, Netflix Japan has added the first season of NBC's Saturday morning 80s mega-hit The Smurfs to its animation lineup. That show debuted on Saturday, September 12, 1981, and ran an impressive nine seasons for a total of 256 episodes, featuring 417 stories and seven specials, and it won an Emmy for Outstanding Children's Entertainment Series for 1982-1983. The Smurfs also set off a wave of cute cartoons, including underwater copycat show The Snorks, and Shirt Tales on NBC itself, plus The Little Clowns of Happy Town and, and Disney's Adventures of the Gummy Bears, which I actually enjoyed quite a bit. But none of these were nearly so derivative as the one foisted on the afternoon syndication audience by Calway's Productions, the company later responsible for the brilliant Scoops Troop Saturday morning spinoff of the Stranger Things movie franchise. This particular show ran in afternoons on a number of stations too cheap to spring for He-Man and the Masters of the Universe from fall 1983 to 1985, but could occasionally be found in the wee morning hours on various stations up into the late 80s and early 90s before finally vanishing. Like Scoop's Troop and the rest of the Calway's production output, this particular cartoon was lost in a warehouse fire. The master tapes and all production artwork gone forever. All that remains are a few fragments captured on VHS by viewers who sometimes accidentally taped it while trying for other more entertaining shows such as The Farm Reports or maybe even the odd G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. While studio founder Lawrence Corny Feldstone III would forever deny his company simply ripped off the Smurfs, the signs are quite obvious. Feldstone went to his grave insisting on this show's originality, including in this snippet from a rare 2003 interview conducted just before his death at the age of 78. And amazingly, I've managed to snag some audio from a YouTube video that has since mysteriously vanished. So here goes and enjoy this extremely rare treat. Yay! A treat! Well, at the time, the uh, Smurf uh, products, the toys, were just selling like hotcakes. Every kid had uh, just a passel of them. Uh, and so uh, we began uh, attempting to negotiate with Peyo and his people. Uh, but that, that uh, Fred Silverman over at NBC got there first. He got there first. And so uh, we were forced to come up with our own uh, original completely uh, in-house generated, uh, totally non-actionable, completely non-infringing work of original, self-generated by the talents and abilities of our wonderful, marvelous artistic staff uh, there at Calway's production. And I think, uh, you know, if you compare them side by side, they're just, the similarities uh, 
have been greatly exaggerated over the years, especially with uh, the advent of the internet. Many years ago, in a forest very far away, there was a tiny place where little green people laughed and lived and worked and played. They called themselves the Stubbos. They were nice. Then there was Lumpragast, the nasty sorcerer. He was a despicable fellow and his robes were covered in soot and breadcrumbs upon which mice and other assorted vermin would gather and feed. Well, the forest is still mostly there, although parts of it have been cut down to make way for a rather kitschy Robin Hood-themed subdivision where, frankly, the houses are quite overpriced, and a strip mall with delivery pizza and a video store that has a small back room full of some of the most peculiar and disturbing tapes, but never mind. If you visit what's left of the forest, you may still hear Lumpergast's angry shouts. And if you are very good, you may just catch a glimpse of one or two of the Stubbos. Stubbos, although I can't say just why. I hate them as all. Sometimes I want to turn their little green bodies into lumps of precious gold, and then other times my anger at them and distaste for their communal woodland lifestyle leads me simply to rather elaborate plans to destroy their happiness. So maybe... Maybe it's their happiness I despise, or, or happiness in general. I'm, I'm a very unhappy sorcerer, and lonely in many ways. Of course I have you, Lucifer, and, and well, I don't know what I'd do without your companionship, as clumsy though you may be. No, no matter. Motivation is scarcely important. No, what matters is that I come up with an evil scheme this time that works and ends those rotten little stubbles' happiness forever and perhaps results in the turning to gold of them by me. smartest stubbo of them all and I say you'll listen to me and follow my plan for harvesting the stub berries. Marty, your plans only work most of the time. That's right. I'd say your ideas only come to fruition 95% of the time, Smarty. Why haven't you harvested the stub berries yet? Chef Stubbo is waiting. 
We have to have those berries in time for this year's harvest festival. We're stubbing as fast as we can, Father Stubbo. Excellent, Smarty. Let's have those stub berries by this afternoon. Chef's going to be cooking all night as it is, and the festival is tomorrow. Of Of course, course, Father Stubbo. Stubbo. Let's go, you Stubbos. Stubbet, you warned us in time. That's right, Stubbet. That means your heart isn't all evil. Deep inside each Stubbo is a kernel of good. For some, such as Goofy here, that kernel is as large and as beautiful as staring directly into the sun during an eclipse. I have a kernel of goodness? Why, I'm sure you do. And don't worry about the stubbos you murdered before your conscience led you to change. They were, they were bad stubbos, and some of them were really boring, or else had complex designs that were much too expensive to animate, and well... Aha! I've caught you, you little green nincompoops! Into my dinner pot you go! Say, I thought you wanted to turn us into gold! I, I don't know what I want anymore. I just... I, I'm lost. I just feel so lost and At last, you're a real Stubbo, Stubbet. How does it feel? Oh, Father Stubbo, your magic spell was wonderful. I feel kind and gentle and generous and ready to spread happiness and love wherever I go. Hooray for Stubbet! And how do you feel, Lumpergast? Lumpergast? Can you hear me? I'm sorry, Father Stubbo, but I ate the last helping of Lumpergast pie while you were transforming Stubbet into a real Stubbo with your magical spell. Hey, bless your heart. He certainly was delicious. Thank you. I am quite pleased with the results. And now, for the piece de resistance, my masterpiece, Lumpergast hair cake a la mode. <gasps> use his nipples as clever decorations in place of the stubberries of which we were all out of thanks to Smarty's ridiculous attempt at making some sort of pudding of them. This cake is delicious. This has been the best harvest festival ever. Goofy. Certainly the best. Isn't that right, Smarty? But Father Stubbo, 
You exiled him into the forest last night after the pudding fiasco. This has been Blissington Falls News Review Now with the OOM for August 20th, 2019. Ume and I won't be here next week because I have to go see a doctor. Oh no! Don't worry, Ume. I'm going for a good reason. Okay. I'm glad. But it does mean we're going to take next week off and come back Tuesday, September 3rd with more exciting entertainment news, comic book reviews, and through Halloween, Little Trizzy's Trizzyween Treat segments. See you soon! Good night, and try to have some kind of tomorrow. Good night. I love you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you.